0: Welcome and thank you for standing by. All participants are on listen only until the question and answer session of today's conference. To ask a question, press star one on your touchtone phone, record your name, and I will introduce you. This call is being recorded. If you have any objections, you may disconnect at this time. I would like to now turn the call over to Honorable Jane Harmon, Director,
1: President, and CEO of the Wilson Center. Ma'am, you may begin.
0: Uh, thank you, Operator, and good morning to so many, uh, both in the U.S. and in uh, Latin America, uh, dialing in for this uh, very important conversation. Uh, I understand that we have well over 350 people on the line. This is the largest uh, grand truth briefing in Wilson Center history and a testament, I must say, to the quality of our Latin American program uh, and to the participants on the call and to the severity of of this issue and the timeliness of our call. Um, I don't have to tell anybody that times are tough and that we wish all of you and your families safety and health. Uh, The world is facing an unprecedented crisis. Um, Some of you know this, the uh, coronavirus particle is just 120 nanometers wide. That's small enough to fit nearly 600 particles across the width of a human hair and it tells us uh, how potent this virus is. Uh, it has caused entire c- countries to shut down, brought economic challenges unseen since the 2008 financial crisis and left the U- U.S. officials scrambling to flatten the curve. It also is being treated differently by different leaders in Latin America, and we're very interested. Uh, I personally am extremely interested to hear what our panelists have to say about that and what our questioners want to ask about that. It's certainly something top of mind for me. The long-term consequences of the coronavirus crisis are unknown, but uh, certainly uh, I agree with U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres uh, that they will likely be dire. Um, this pandemic is resulting in a global recession of unknown duration, and he uh, called on governments around the world to cooperate. Good idea in lessening the pandemic's devastating impacts. So today, as I said, we're talking about the economic impacts of the coronavirus in Latin America, what has been the immediate effect thus far, what countries are doing to respond, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, even before the outbreak of the coronavirus, experts in our Latin American program wrote about the wave of political protests that swept the region late last year. People took to the streets by the millions, many to demand better public services such as health and education and greater social equality. As economic growth sputtered, citizens saw living standards decline and expectations dashed. All that took place before this, before this. And now, obviously, uh, economies are grinding to a halt and the suffering already of other already uh, vulnerable populations is expected to increase dramatically. So um, this is a conversation about that uh to introduce our speakers and explain what the coronavirus means for countries across the Americas uh let me turn uh, uh the moderator role over to uh Cindy uh Aronson, the extremely able and dedicated uh and long-time director of our Latin American program and to Benjamin Gadan uh, LAPS Deputy Director and Director of LAPS Argentina pro, uh, pro, Project. Over to you both, and thanks again to um, uh, some of our wonderful panelists, especially my my dear friend Luis
2: uh, Alberto Moreno. Uh, over to you, Cindy. Jane, thanks so much, and thanks to all who have joined us. Um, as Jane was mentioning, the economic effects in the region have been swift and brutal, uh, the shrinking of global demand, An oil price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia um, have sent prices for the all important commodity and oil sectors uh, important for the region have sent those prices crashing. Um, This has crippled exports uh, as well as trade that are critical to the region's economic health. Uh, The tourism industry, which is a vital source of of employment and foreign exchange in many countries is essentially shuttered. Uh, Informal workers which constitute about 50% of the region's labor force live day to day. They certainly don't have the luxury of telework and many of them are outside their country's social safety nets. We have an embarrassment of riches to discuss the economic impacts of the coronavirus in Latin America. Our first speaker will be Luis Alberto Moreno, the President of the Inter-American Development Bank. Luis Alberto will be followed by Benjamin Ramsey, who is the Executive Director of the Latin America Research Group at JP Morgan, based in New York. And Katie Watson joins us from Sao Paulo, Brazil. She is the South America correspondent for the BBC. Uh, President Moreno, please go ahead.
3: Well, thank you very much to you, Cindy, and to Jane. And uh, I think you pretty much described the severity of of the challenge we're all facing. Uh, I would say perhaps that that Latin America is maybe two weeks or a week and a half uh, uh, behind what's happening in in the U.S. And you know, as the latest figures that I saw, we have something in, in the overall in the regions close to 34. Hundred uh, uh, cases of uh, people who have uh, acquired the the, the virus, uh, close to 38 deaths. Uh, but the reality is, if you look at the at the curve, uh, what you have is a very sharp increase in the curve in most countries in the regions. In some countries, more severe than others, is the case of uh, countries like Chile or Ecuador or uh, Brazil. Just to name a few, but the reality is, as we all know, uh, this virus has no limits, and the response in many of our countries has been, uh, you know, in many countries to have lockdowns, like you see in places like El Salvador, in Argentina, in Colombia, and others. Uh, Other countries are uh, taking different approaches, but the reality is that the the reaction is not unlike what we, uh, is perhaps at different speeds, but not unlike what everybody else in the world is doing. Having said that, uh, the real challenge then therefore becomes how to deal with this crisis and what are the effects of this crisis on the economy and of course on people and more importantly on health issues. The WHO has looked at, an, uh, you know, there's a number of analysis done over the years as to the the health uh, of, of our health systems and clearly we're, uh, you know, not uh, as ready as we should be uh, there's a lot of uh, kind of a war-type mentality to try to produce the kinds of inputs that are so desperately needed. Uh, this is something that unfortunately we we lack much more of a of a worldwide kind of uh, uh, support in. But every country is looking out as it should be for its citizens, and that has meant that countries are preventing the exports of some of the very key medical needs, from respirators to Uh, masks, uh, all the medical equipment that is needed to deal with the crisis. So many countries are looking at ways to supplant this using their private sector to produce anywhere from alcohol to masks to respirators, uh, you name it. Now, having said all of that and not knowing what in the final analysis will be the total number of cases and does the spread of the virus, is it as severe as other parts of uh, the Western world and in, in countries where you have Four seasons are supposed to do. We don't know if that's a reality, but it's hitting, of course, people from all ages as well. Now, in terms of the economic effects, this is, to me, one of the most severe uh, questions for Latin America. We were already growing at very low rates. Uh, fiscal balances today are very different than they were in the last financial crisis where, as you recall, Uh, Many countries in in Latin America had a a strong fiscal position, were able to weather the the first year of the financial crisis, and subsequent to that, it was largely emerging markets who brought back growth uh, and helped uh, many of the industrialized uh, countries in the world to bring that growth up again uh, and repair many of, of the damages that the financial crisis had created. Today, we're in a very different place where it is the world over that we're seeing this so stop which is not unlike what Latin America has seen in the past. We literally have a so stop Out of emerging markets, you have huge outflows of capital unlike any other time. And this, of course, is making it very difficult for countries to begin to finance the immense needs that they have. You mentioned that, the, you know, we're largely a commodity producer type of uh, hemisphere the double shock uh, on demand and supply, but more importantly around our, our export offering, which are commodities. You have, you know, things like uh, oil, which is certainly going to right now hovering around $25. That is going to affect the oil producing countries. This is the expansion of vaca Muerta in Argentina to Mexico, to Colombia, uh, and certainly to Brazil. All of those countries will be affected by lower uh, oil prices. A uh, copper, which is critical for countries like uh, Peru or Chile, is uh, down from close to uh, sixty-four hundred a ton to about four thousand two hundred a ton, and you can go on the line with soybeans, with the rest of the of the main um, goods that Latin America, main commodities that Latin America exports. Uh, the other the other part is uh, what this is doing to spreads. Uh, credit spreads are widening. I'm sure. My colleague from, uh, our friend from, from JP Morgan will explore more about that, but you, you can see that the, the, the widening of spreads in, in most of uh, the countries in Latin America is very, very uh, deep. And, uh, and this is also contributing to what essentially will be a recession. We, we just don't know how this will, how long this will last. Is it a three month or is it longer? Uh, you have countries like El Salvador uh, taking an approach and saying, well, let's lock down and, uh hopefully and um, do everything we can and extend all kinds of uh, a, a holidays on payments of all kinds uh, for the next ninety days and that's a, a way they've approached it. Uh, all countries are looking at uh, uh, you know supporting the social safety nets, increasing them uh, being able to get certainly to the most vulnerable, but this is going to include more than that independent workers. Uh, people who are kind of in the margins that we have seen lately, uh, moving away from having entered the middle classes now, falling back, and that was a phenomenon that was already happening. Just to give you, a, a you know, in, in doing a, of the many analyses the IDB had been doing, just a 1% drop rate in the, in the growth rate of China represents about 0.6% drop in the growth of Latin America as a whole, affecting more than anything, South American countries. Now, of course, these numbers are all in review, and they are all under downward pressure. So, worrying for a very, very dire kind of circumstances, our certainly our, our response from the perspective of the IDB has to be has been concentrating initially, and what it has to be around the health-related issues, but equally in the support that we can provide uh, countries such that they can. Uh, you know, boost their social safety nets, and then, of course, everything around the small and medium businesses, which represent over 60 to 70 percent of employment in Latin America. Uh, And essentially, what I find in looking at the private sector in our countries is people are basically shocked, holding on to liquidity the best way they can. And so the name of the game, I think, beyond dealing with the health issues, is how to inject liquidity into Latin American economy such that they can whether these immense challenges that we've never seen in the past. I would perhaps stop there and let others follow.
2: Luis Alberto, thank you. Um, certainly pretty sobering. Uh, Benjamin, why don't you go ahead? Benjamin Ramsey.
4: Hello, thank you very much for the invitation. Um, it's a pleasure to join me today. I want to thank Jane, I want to thank Cindy, I want to thank Benjamin Um Yeah, I think uh, uh, Luis Alberto paints um, you know, the very complex uh, and and the stark challenges that the region um is is facing. And um, you know, we as uh you know, economic forecasters at JP Morgan have been certainly um trying to wrap our heads around how how to how to quantify this. Um uh, the, the the impacts and try to quantify uh, what we're thinking about in terms of our, our forecasts. Um there's clearly a lot of moving parts here um as, as Ambassador Moreno has has explained um, uh, I would say you know as we get as we start thinking uh, about this it, the you know, things are moving so quickly that um, you know what forecasts that we were making just you know two weeks ago now feel really kind of like ancient history and you know as we started to think about the impact of growth on the region we initially started to think about some of these traditional um, you know channels of external shock certainly the commodity channel' um, seeing the you know the, the very sharp uh reductions in growth that we were seeing our, our colleagues from China making uh, and, and that uh, the economic outlook there uh, but we've also had to um you know i think evolve as we've th- thought about something that was initially in asia which was going to look like a very uh, very strong v shaped um uh, economic uh say trajectory where we would see you know very uh, large contraction in in china in the first quarter with a little, very large uh, bounce back in china coming in the second quarter then we had to obviously incorporate um, the, the spread into Europe uh, and the overall impact in terms of global demand, developed markets. Um, we had the uh, additional wrinkle of um, the OPEC plus uh, fallout from the negotiations between the Saudis and the Russians and the impact on oil, which uh, added yet another sort of downswing to the commodities story. Um, it, all the market reactions, which, um, which Luis Alberto uh, alluded to in terms of uh, financial tightening, uh, and then, of course, the um, the direct impact uh, into our, our hemisphere, uh, you know, starting really with, with uh, cases in the U.S. and a, and a handful of cases uh, in the region. Um, but uh, what what is sort of let's say the real, um, even you know, much more significant impact in terms of how we're thinking about forecasting? It's uh, it is the, the, the direct impact of the outbreaks and the social distancing measures which are now um, being taken, uh, which are taking place. And I think, you know, those of us sitting in the US, um, we're we're feeling the impact of that. Uh, as Luis Alberto mentioned, depending on the country, there's, there's different levels now of, of social distancing taking place, um, some at the national level, some at the state level. Um, certainly the private sector is playing its part. Um, but this is, you know, adding a much, much deeper, um, let's say layer into how we're thinking about, about forecasts. So, uh, I still feel like we're, um, shooting at a moving target, but just to give you an idea of how, you know, we've, we've had, um, forecasts evolve, um, we were, came into the, the year, and again, this was a year where we had basically, you know, since the fall of the commodity super cycle, we've been struggling to find growth in Latin America, um, we, Uh, only saw one and a half percent growth for the overall region in Latin America at the start of this year. So this was already sort of a disappointing outlook which was going to be dependent on um, basically a a recovery from recession in in Brazil uh, and Mexico uh, as as drags there were fading, as as we were expecting some positive momentum in the Brazil story. Uh, And we were seeing, you know, growth at two percent or above in Brazil. Uh, We were seeing growth um, in Mexico, uh, you know, initially hoping we would get above 1%. The data was disappointing us on uh, on that front. We uh, currently have, in terms of full 2020, um, a contraction of 1.2% at the regional level. Uh, and Brazil would now be contracting 1%. Mexico would be tracking, contracting 1.8% um Colombia where we had initially been thinking growth could be around 3% will be flat at 0. So these swings overall are kind of reflecting this sort of 3 percentage point swing depending on the country and looking at the region. Uh and this this is already reflecting um something that uh, is incorporating the idea that we are going to have um uh, the the depths of the crisis in the second quarter as these direct uh, uh as the direct impacts play out. But we're also still anticipating, and I think this is really the unknown uh, question about both the depth and the duration that we're still trying to wrap our heads around, that we will have some lift uh, in the second half of the year uh, as, um, you know, we are sort of, I guess, crossing our fingers and hoping that we have um, dynamics that will allow um, sectors which are um, in in terms of the domestic economy, economy, service sectors which we're now basically um, seeing shut down for at least a month, if not more start to find ways to, to operate again, um, and as so I think crucially we're, we're expecting um, sort of a, an historic type of um, uh, V-shape uh, coming out of China and coming, kind of coming out of Asia as, as those economies and those governments do sort of get um, their, uh, their, you know, the, the policies there of containment um, and then sort of putting things back to work play out. Um, when I saw initially the first, uh, and these are not published, forecasts, but the iterations of these forecasts circulated uh, in, in the bank, I thought that I was looking at some typos, but we currently now in China are expecting uh, 40.8% contraction in the first quarter, um, but these are quarter on quarter annualized numbers, uh, and that's followed by a 57% uh, recovery in the second quarter. Uh, and then a twenty four percent recovery in the third quarter, so the 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 depths of this fall and then recovery um, in China are really something we 've never seen in any type of forecasting before and and uh, as we you know as, as was alluded to, the links to the regions are we do think important, and the 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 the, the way that the, the, that type of recovery could perhaps um play into commodity markets and give the second half uh, a better tone than the first half. Um, you know, this is working to how we're thinking uh, about the, the growth in the region. Now, at the regional level, these, to, to give you a sense, the same type of, um, uh, you know, the, the same same uh, quantification, the same presentation of the data, meaning quarter-on-quarter uh, annualized growth. Um, we're seeing uh, the, the depth of the crisis play out in the second quarter, where at the regional level we're seeing something like a 12% contraction. That's obviously orders of magnitude smaller than, than what I just said. Uh, in, in terms of China, um, yeah, but what what is uh, the difference here, and we haven't seen that type of contraction, a double-digit contraction at the regional level since the global financial crisis when we fell of a, at a, a similar magnitude, um, and we, we actually contracted at that level for two consecutive quarters. Um, the the difference I'd say here, and I'd say I'm, I'm not, you know, but we certainly, again, as I said, these are moving targets and we can have more risk. Um, the region is coming, we have much farther, to fall back then in 2008-2009, in the region was growing above 5%. Yes, there was more room for buffers, um, uh, but uh, the sudden stop, you know, led to that, that really, sh- really sharp downfall here. We're, this will be the third consecutive quarter of, of uh, contraction. Uh, because we were soft in the fourth quarter, we were expecting a bounce in the first quarter, and we're already now incorporating, basically, the hit into the, to March, or so the last part of the first quarter, so we have a uh, uh, a contraction which is 1.2% in the in the first quarter followed by that 12%. And then we're seeing something like, we're not seeing that huge rebound that we're seeing uh, in China or, or we can talk about similar numbers elsewhere in the world. We're seeing a recovery um, in, in the third quarter in the uh, in the range of 8% and then it's uh, getting back to something around 2% thereafter. So we're certainly not recovering all that last, that lost output. And I'd say we're still basically making some optimistic assumptions um, in terms of the recovery because of all the, I'd say, um, institutional shortfalls, the lack of fiscal and monetary space um, and, and uh, I'd say, uh, difficulties in, in terms of public health systems um, dealing with the crisis. The one thing I will say, and this is going to differ from, um, let's say, the responses to previous crises, um, uh, we are seeing, um, uh, Uh, fiscal and monetary authorities where we thought there really was no space at all um, to to make moves because of these dislocations in uh, in financial markets, because of widening credit spreads, uh, because of currencies, which have been uh, basically selling off by more than 20%. Um, We thought we were going to have to see central banks being more cautious in terms of using monetary policy to stimulate, uh, and we thought that there was going to be little fiscal space given these financing uh, constraints. But we do see... um, extraordinary times um, apparently calling for extraordinary reactions from from the fiscal and monetary authorities. Uh, and we're seeing uh, reactions such as um, Chile, Brazil, um, Peru, and, and even surprisingly Mexico call extraordinary meetings uh, to cut interest rates. Um, and, and we are seeing uh, across the board countries where we thought the fiscal uh, space was um you know was was extremely limited where there wasn't going to be a lot of room to use uh, fiscal policy um uh, programs being rolled out to provide um to, to provide support uh, either be a you know deferrals from collecting taxes um boosting um direct transfers um and the like so uh, it looks like uh, the the uh, we can argue as to whether or not certain governments may be taking more seriously or less seriously social distancing, but I'd say the economic authorities are, are basically viewing this as, um, as a, a generational crisis and they are uh, using toolkits um, and throwing caution to the wind and I think dealing with the, the consequences of those, um, of the fallout uh, after. And it does beg uh, to question, uh, if we could see um, in, the, in some of the economies of the region, um, policies that we've seen in, in developed markets uh, and, and policies that we've, you know, even seen, for example, New Zealand uh, at the end of last week starting to use quantitative easing. Um, and uh, in a region where we've seen what happens when you monetize fiscal deficits, I think there's a very really deep aversion to this after the experiences of hyperinflation in the 80s and the reminder that we've had from the Venezuelan case, um, you know, in very recent memory. Um, but given the way, um, the central banks and, and governments are acting in the developed world, I do think that um, a number of uh, of economies in Latin America are going to, to, to start to get creative. So um, with that, I'll, I'll leave it there.
2: Benjamin, thank you very much. Um, Katie from Sao Paulo, what does it look like?
1: Hi, thanks for having me. Well, the other people on the panel are experts on the economy. I'm an expert in talking to experts, so this is very much a you know, from a, a lay person, people I've been speaking to. I mean, first of all, working for the BBC, there's a huge amount of interest in the moment, so it's given me the chance these past few weeks just to see how South America is dealing with it as the, as the newsroom implodes in London. But people I've spoken to like to point out the optimism, the fact that, you know, there could be an issue in climate, which means the numbers aren't going to go as fast in terms of the age of the population, the young population in the region, and the concentration of people. Those are all, obviously, a lot of people disagree with those, but those are what, you know, the positive people are talking about. Others, of course, and we've heard those, you know, the, the issues of inequality, of poverty, and the lack of action uh, by governments. And I think that's what's been so interesting is just how, the leaders here are are dealing with it. The region has a lot of different approaches. I mean, I'm in South I'm in Sao Paulo. Uh, Jair Bolsonaro is still going very strong on not making it a big deal, and he cares about the economy. That was a big part of his campaign. He doesn't want that to um, you know go to pot. Not that he has much control over that now, but it's really put him um, you know in a, a difficult situation when you've got the health authorities, the Ministry of Health, which has been seen as taking much more leadership on this issue, um, and regional governments, for example, here in Sao Paulo, there's there's been a total shutdown here. Quarantine in Sao Paulo doesn't come into play until tomorrow, but people are certainly, you know, staying away. The sh- schools have closed down, shopping centres, um, very few people out on the streets. And, of course, there's been a, a lot of dissatisfaction in Bolsonaro's leadership, the panellasas, the pot banging. Um, every evening, uh, practically, there was some excuse to guard onto the balcony and um, bang those pots to stay, you know, out with Bolsonaro. There are a few people still b- banging the pots, in support of him, but, of course, I mean, the handling of this crisis, the support is uh, drastically waning. Now, I mean, I think the worry is certainly talking to um, experts not expert to anybody is the is the informal economy which we, we you know we've mentioned already the 200 hay being given to informal workers a month that's what forty dollars i mean how does that pay people 's rent let alone food keep people going and that's a big concern I was in a favela just a, the other day people worried about information getting to them not being able to get the health care with oversubscribed public hospitals this issue of you know quarantine and being e- even able to separate um you know how on earth do you keep that distance if there are people with the virus that's a, a huge concern for people there uh, and the fact that you know you, just how do they keep, get paid people who you know have been you know got rid of from one day to the next because people don't need their services, services anymore uh, i talked to a doctor the other day which i thought was it was really interesting she talked about the fact that this is a, an upper middle class problem or has been um but you know there have been wealthy brazilians coming from abroad bringing the virus after their holidays after carnival and um you know getting treated in private hospitals up until now that has kind of almost been contained but of course as the virus spreads um that will hit the poorer and of course it will hit in terms of resources and those people are you know le- not well placed to be able to to cope i mean it, it's telling the first person to die in rio was a domestic worker whose employer came back from italy um, and didn't tell the domestic worker um, that she had symptoms. A month later, that domestic worker is dead. And I think that is worrying. I was talking to, you know, my cleaner who's now, you know, not working, still being paid, but we've told her, do not come, you know, do not leave your house. And, and she says that the whole community, they're deeply worried, not just a little bit worried, they're really, really scared about what's happening. Um, and, and I think you look, compare that to somewhere like Chile as well. Chile, a lot of people are banging on the pot, you know, on the pots again, worried about the fact that the government isn't taking enough action. Uh, Then you've got Venezuela, which, you know, Nicolás Maduro is is taking action with quarantine. But what does that mean? Information being able to get out from that country, a country that obviously has a huge problem with its uh, its health care, with resources, and that's a a big worry for people there. And, of course, for employment. How on earth do they keep going in a situation that, you know, at the best of times was terrible? Um, So uh, across the region, I think, you know, you've got leaders – being seen as good, bad. Peru people seem to think that there's a much more action being taken there. But then there's the issue of quarantine. You know, a lot of these countries have, um, you know, lockdowns. Seeing what's happened in Europe and thinking, right, we need to get to the bottom of this. We need to make sure that, you know, we can we can um, not not, you know replicate what's happening in Europe, but then how people getting frustrated, fed up, unable to get the food, pay the rent, pushing more people back into poverty. What does that mean for, you know, the coming years? And, of course, then we come back to this issue of, you know, social unrest again, a, a, a region that, you know, is, is deeply unequal at the best of times. I think this virus just brings that kind of deep inequality uh, to the fore once again.
2: Um Thanks very much, Katie. Uh, Benjamin Gadan, let me uh, call on you to ask the first question and remind callers that if they want to be in the queue to ask a question, please press star 1. Thanks, Benjamin.
5: Excellent. Thank you very much. Luis Alberto, if you're uh, still with us, I wanted to ask you a question about regional coordination. I know there's been a lot of focus about the region's limited budget space for stimulus spending, about limits on lowering interest rates, but it's a difficult moment for multilateralism given ideological diversity and leadership throughout Latin America. My question is, are you seeing or should we be seeing more regional coordination on all manner of policy responses, whether that's public health, system procurement, fiscal or monetary action? Let us know, you know, what you're seeing and and, and what role the IDB and other multilateral institutions might play in
3: coordination. Okay. At the outset, my belief is that never before have we needed much more multilateralism. Dealing with a pandemic of this nature, had we somewhere before decided as a world how to deal better with pandemics, I think we would be in a very different place. The same is true for climate change. So, you know, that's a discussion that we can have further in the future. But having said that, you know, there's been some... Some cooperation. There was a, a call amongst the presidents of uh, South America that took place uh, a, a week ago, a little bit more than a week ago. It's been more around the kinds of responses on the very health issues and how to deal with them and how to deal with you know closing down borders, things like that. That was the nature of that conversation. I know in, in at the level of the Caribbean, I, I we have reached out, for instance I had a. A uh, um, conference call with all the finance ministers of Central America, and another one with the Caribbeans, because certainly, as uh, Cindy was saying, you know, the, the situation of the Caribbean is extremely dire. I mean, these are countries that largely live off uh, tourism, and as we all know, you know, the, the travel and leisure industry is basically uh, imploded in, a, in the sense that there is, you know, just the number, sheer numbers of people just not going to hotels, etc. How long this will last? Uh, is very, very uh, tough. So we've been looking at responses on the tourism sector that we can do, and this is basically bridging kind of the challenge that they have in front. Uh, but in terms of a of a full regional kind of response, I don't think it's there yet. I think there is going to be, as I understand it, a G20 uh, call amongst the heads of state, I think, sometime this week. We're going to start seeing some of the global responses begin to... Shape up and I think, as that happens uh, you'll see more and more of the regional responses. but more I would say at the moment everybody is just simply overwhelmed with their own country's response and and I one of the things that we're doing at the bank is beginning to put uh, you know a a, a very good uh, system by which countries can tap into a web page and see what other countries are doing and, t- and in a very uh, live way look at some of the responses that are working better in some countries as opposed to others to be able to exchange uh, uh, you know best practices these is the kinds of things that we're starting to put together and with that i am sorry but i'm fortunate enough to sign out and thank you uh, uh to all of you and uh, and it's been fascinating to hear uh, the other speakers
2: Hey, Luis Alberto Moreno, thank you so much for joining us and I know your other duties are extremely pressing and, and, uh, we respect and, and, uh, uh, wish you all the best in, in the efforts to help the region, um, contain this. So we'll continue with questions to, uh, to Benjamin and Ben, Ben Ramsey and, uh, to Katie. Um, One of the questions I would have liked to ask Luis Alberto is um, the way that the Venezuelan refugee crisis uh, potentially impacts the ability of countries to respond. Um, Certainly, as Katie mentioned, the Venezuelan health system has collapsed even uh, before this, uh, you know, with basic things like running water not available. Um, But the unavailability of health services in Venezuela is very likely to uh, cause people to continue to try to uh, migrate to other countries, even with uh, official border crossings closed. Um, uh, So I was wondering whether either Ben Ramsey or or Katie wanted to comment on on that issue. Um, I mean, I can can comment. I think that uh, that is
1: one of the... Big issues now, when you've got the borders closed. I mean, Bolsonaro has, has closed the borders. How do they get across, and how how much more dangerous is it? Um, and, and that's the issue, isn't it? It's not it's not going to stop people coming. It's going to make people um, even more desperate. Um, and again, that it raises the the political divisions in a time when really it's about kind of the the region trying to come together and and try and come up with a solution, but I think that it will cause more problems, if that makes sense, you know, like the the, di- the division between dealing with the outbreaks and actually, I think, helping the situation certainly in the long term when you've got people like Jair Bolsonaro uh, in Brazil, you know, facing off with Nicolas Maduro. I mean, I don't see it as a very, you know, a positive outcome in any way. I think it's deeply depressing. It's one of the worst parts of this crisis. Jane? Uh, Jen, um you know, I
2: would- know if you'd like to ask a question uh thank you very thank you very much uh, i
0: am on the line and i would love to ask a question um two well twofold question i didn't hear anybody mention that amlo in mexico uh okay technically not latin america uh seems at least according to public reports uh not to be imposing social distancing and uh, there's a huge population there that uh, is not spilling into the U.S. because of our border controls. But I'm wondering if it's going the other way, and making it more difficult for other countries in Latin America to control this. But second question is about China. Uh, the the economic uh, reports from from the, those on the call about uh, China and and its its uh, uh, shrinking economy are obviously devastating, but. W- what about this? Uh, it is reported today that, uh, Jack Ma, at least, maybe personally, is surging medical supplies into Africa. Uh, I, I assume on behalf of China, but certainly on behalf of his company. I'm wondering if China is surging medical supplies into Latin America and if this, as, as the other effort is, uh, helping to, um, basically, uh, uh, tie Latin America, both ec- economically, but now in humanitarian ways, uh, to
4: China more
0: so than to the
4: U.S.
2: Uh, so, want to try yeah, to- I can
4: take, I can take a crack at some of those. I mean, I guess to tie maybe a little bit the, to those two together. Um, eh, I think there's there's one on the one hand there are what governments are doing and certain. Certainly, certain governments in the world um, have more capacity to sort of um, ex- extend their reach across their populations, um, and, and there's certain different levels of governments acting between, um, you know, state authorities and federal authorities, depending on on the uh, on the country. But there has been, I'd say, a, a pretty substantial um, private sector response. Uh, I think it's one that we can observe here in, in the U.S. Um, that maybe even you know, moving ahead of, of some of the official responses. Um, And I think that in terms of the the way the private sector uh, and at least um, multinationals are are acting in in Latin America, um, there's also, you know, a private sector response, which may or may not be uh, congruent with what the official response is. So (laughs) in Mexico, even if there may be um, a lag, if you compare it to other countries in the region in terms of um, social distancing measures, um, it doesn't mean that, that the private sector is not already acting. And we know that there's, um, you know, a large and diversified um, presence of, of international companies in Mexico. Um, and, and we know that, um, you know, the economy is going to be hit if uh, the U.S. You know, manufacturing sector, auto sector shuts down. Regardless of what um, is, is you know an official policy may uh, may be um, so in terms of you know he, uh, humanitarian efforts I, I, I don't have any information as to the Chinese um, you know working directly in, in Latin america but, um, I, I don't know if, uh, if others do but I, I guess the, the point I would make is uh, we, we, there you know there is a, a Important, uh, important way to distinguish between what official responses are and what private responses are, and both can be a, a important and effective.
5: Ben, this is this is Benjamin Gadam with a question about your seeming, you know, upbeat reaction to some of the fiscal stimulus and some of the the countercyclical monetary policy that the region has managed despite, you know, unfavorable conditions heading into this crisis. My question is, you know, is this worth it, um, throwing caution to the wind as you put it, to reduce the depth of the crisis? Or are you concerned already about, you know, post-crisis get hangover or some inflation challenges for a region, again, that that really didn't have the ammunition, it is now somehow deploying to respond to, to this sharp recession? Um,
4: in short, yes. And I think in a lot of these countries, the policymakers haven't, um, you know, discarded those concerns. Uh, I, so I think it speaks to the sense of urgency. policy um, policymakers are feeling and seeing in terms of um, uh, the responses that are, you know, what, what they have at their disposal and the cost of doing nothing versus the cost uh, of trying to provide um, uh, immediate re- relief. Um, Yes, there will be you know countries where we didn't think there was going to be fiscal space. Yes, there can be rating um, downgrades, which you know maybe a month ago or two months ago um, seemed like risks that policymakers didn't want to didn't didn't want to uh, play you know didn't want to play with, which now seem like um, relatively small costs compared to the magnitude of the crises that, that uh, policymakers are, are facing on the ground. Uh, and I think it's also um, you know I, I do think that in a number of, of economies in, in the region um there has been you know significant um let's say institutionalization of of um, uh, you know central bank credibility um and a number of crises now where we have seen um, between the global financial crisis and, and the end of the of the commodity super cycle where um at least at different you know different times and different magnitudes there's been an ability to put uh, more countercyclical um, policies, uh, both monetary and to some degree fiscal, than we ever would have seen. You know, in, in let's say the the decades the decades prior, uh, where where um, the only available uh, responses were pro cyclical in nature. So, um, I think as you've sort of had some experience with countercyclical and you were able to pull it off, um, there is now uh, a willingness to you know see what the developed world is doing in terms of the the creative um you know uh, toolkit which is being um unfolded uh, and and you know quantitative easing is now not a, is is now a you know that's a that's a last generation policy response now we're seeing you know policymakers in in the US and Europe um considering you know things they would never consider doing themselves so um uh you know, we're not there yet in our region. I'm not not sure we will be, but I do think that the, this debate as to whether or not um, we can um, see these types of responses again, like a quantitative easing type of responses, um, as, as governments uh, just have pressing fiscal needs um, that, that they feel they can't um, they can't uh, avoid, you know, to have to be financed. Yeah, will there be a debt hangover? Uh, will it be different than what the rest of the world is facing? Um, and, you know, yes, maybe, maybe not, but um, I, I think these are problems that uh, will have to be tackled um, down the road. Uh,
2: ben, thanks for that. Um, let's start calling on some of the people that are in the queue. If Michael Reed uh, from the Economist magazine is still on the line, uh, Michael, do you want to go mm-hmm. ahead?
4: Yeah, thanks very much, Cindy. Thanks for doing this. My question was originally for Luis Alberto Moreno, but let me let me um, ask Ben a question. Can I just uh, ask, uh, tease out a bit more how you see the recovery happening in the second half of the year? How much of that will be because external conditions start to normalize in terms of export demand, prices, supply chains, and so on? And how much is, is um, the lifting of um, restrictions on the domestic economy, and if it's mainly the latter – and to what extent are you worried by the kind of permanent destruction of jobs and businesses in the domestic economy? Yeah, it's it's a combination, and again, this is really a difficult thing to to um, put our you know our finger on. And, and, and also in terms of thinking about the timing, I mean, we are um, uh, again seeing the the biggest um, shock in the second quarter, um, and we're expecting we can see. Um, some lifting by the end of the second quarter in terms of the domestic shock, but also the external um, the external component. Um, uh, it's hard to be too precise, I would say, in terms of the, the magnitude of both. I'd say at this point it's sort of a, a balanced um, uh, equation when we're thinking about um, uh, better external demand, um, a recovery in commodities prices, uh, and then lifting of social distancing. Uh, and we, you know, feel like we've got um, a diesel around the first one, although, you know, it's not, um, it's also a function of how uh, basically the, the, the outbreak is playing out in, in Asia, in, in the developed markets. Um, but in, at least in terms of the, the, the channels and the orders of magnitude at which we could see commodities recover um, as, a, as a main driver. Um, but no, we don't have, feel like we have a real sense of, of how the, um, the, the policy response uh, to the outbreak in countries, um is going to play out yeah i think we're, we're definitely concerned about some um, permanent loss of um uh, of of uh, uh of activity um, I, again i think this is coming from a point of view where we've had um you know very low investment levels um, where we've had very low growth for uh, a long period of time um and, and we've had potential growth which is very low in, in the latin american region uh probably moving lower anyway so uh, I was going to come out of this um episode uh if if we get to the other side which i certainly hope we do um yeah, with with again even lower levels of potential growth in Latin america uh seems to me that's seems to me that's likely um and so so uh yeah i mean i think it's it's extremely challenging and we can certainly um imagine scenarios where the challenges are are um you know exacerbated by uh, the social tensions that we've already seen uh, in the region at the end of last year, as, as we mentioned at the beginning of, uh, of this call. I can imagine scenarios where, 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 the, where there can be a negative feedback loop um, on the back of policy responses and on the back of um, stress and on the back of the impact of the social contact? I think that's, uh, that's an additional risk.
5: I'd like to call on James Bosworth from the Latin America Risk Report. James. Hi, thanks. Thanks very much. Uh, Question for each of you. Uh, On the economic side, uh, we've seen currencies in Latin America hit some of their lowest points. Brazil's at five to the dollar. Mexico just hit 25 to the dollar today. Um, Is this the new normal or um, should we expect to see a rebound in the coming year? Um, And then on the for Katie, on the protest side, you mentioned protests in Brazil. Um, I'd be interested in knowing your thoughts on Chile, because Chile has postponed its constitutional referendum. Uh, Do you expect protests to increase in spite of all the current quarantine measures? And how are the social movements going to respond there? Let's start with Katie, if we could. Katie?
1: Hi. Yeah. um, Well, (laughs) I think Jill is in this really difficult position because, of course, the the referendum was set for April, um, now being pushed back. To October now, I mean people are showing their their anger with Pinheiro because they they want him to they you know they want to, Chile to be shut down like we've seen in other parts of the uh, of the region. So um, talking about protests on the street no, I think people uh, are kind of feeling no, we need to we need to shut down the country. We need to make sure that the numbers um, don't keep rising. So. I don't, it doesn't mean that the, the demands that we saw um, late last year will go away. If anything, you know, this is putting more pressure on Piñera because, again, he's not dealing with um, the situation in the country as the way many people, uh, you know, feel he should. So, you know, his popularity is not not, not getting any... Any better? So, um, in terms of, you know, on the ground protest, no, um, that's not going to happen, you know, now, um, but I don't think, I think this just parks the problem, um, and people will still make their voices heard, and we're seeing it with, uh, um, you know, with the protest from people's balconies, That's the, the kind of new form of protest, it seems, across the region, it's the, the safest way to still make the voices heard.
4: Uh, yeah, James. Thanks for the question. Um, in, no, I mean, I, I think in terms of currency movements, currencies always overshoot. Um, it, now, have we finished the overshooting? Uh, uh, there's, there's no way I'll make that call. Um, but um, you know, markets when you know there will be an inflection point here. Um, again, if we're right in terms of you um, know, we we will see a bottom uh, in terms of uh, terms of trade in the region. Um, uh, then you know, we, we can think that there will be some inflection point and there will be some recovery. But there's going to be a significantly you know, weaker level of, of currencies at the end of this episode than what we saw um, at, the, at the beginning. And there will be ethics passed through which um, the authorities are going to have to deal with and balance against um, you know, the type of stimulative policies that I mentioned are being entertained and in some cases already being uh, uh, rolled out. Um, but you know, I, I think if we think about the impact back to inflation, there's also significant significant deflationary forces which are playing out um, inside uh, a number of economies as well. Some of them are oil importers. Um, you know, Even uh, Colombia, which is in a tough situation here, is going to face significant FX pass-through, has made a significant um, reduction in gasoline prices locally, which is going to offset uh, to some degree um, the inflation we're seeing this year. Um, so... Um, you know, there are cross-currents when it comes to inflation, and I think uh, the generally low levels of inflation where the region has started from, and it's, that's different from the prior, let's say, global financial crisis or even the commodity super-cycle bubble where economies were kind of overheating and inflation was under pressure. Um, uh, th- at this point, I don't think that um, currency weakness and pass-through to FX is, um, is, is it's being considered, but it, it doesn't seem like it's being a, limited, a limiting factor at this point.
2: Thanks for those uh, responses. Uh, Next up is uh, Alex Kravitz. Alex, if you're still on.
5: (laughs) Yes, hello, Cindy. Thank you very much. Um, El Salvador was
4: mentioned, and, you know, the country has actually been locked down. Um, The maquilas have been closed. Call centers have been uh, closed. Tremendous loss of jobs and um but i I'd, I'd like to ask about testing can any one of the panelists tell us what is the status of testing what one reads is that in the united states this has been the biggest failure and basically without testing there is no data without data you cannot really effectively combat the uh, the pandemic so i'm wondering if anybody can give us some insights into the 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 measures that are being taken to how much is testing a part of it in Latin America uh
2: Katie or Ben, which one of you wants to talk about the availability of testing I'll, I'll in terms Katie,
1: on that one. <laughs> um i I mean South America is more of my remit than Central and uh Mexico, i'm afraid but um certainly here in brazil there's um they've come under a lot of pressure for just not testing enough. the, go- the government announced it was going to um introduce 10 million rapid tests in the next a uh, few weeks but um i mean i put up some fi- every every day I put up figures of the latest, and these are official figures. And every day I put this up on Twitter, and every day everybody's weighing in and saying these are just not uh, the reality. There are so many more um, cases, which you know we, we know that this is an issue. That obviously the te- the, subs- the confirmed cases are far uh, fewer than the ones that, that probably are out there. But um, yes, governments are coming in for dust. I mean, you know, testing, testing, testing. It's what other countries, it's what you know South Korea um, did, and I think that but it comes down to finances as well. Um, So, uh, yes, there's there's pressure to do much more of that than they are here.
2: Okay, I think that pretty much um, wraps up our time. I want to thank our speakers, Benjamin Ramsey, um, Katie Watson uh, joining us from New York and Sao Paulo, and certainly also a huge thanks to Luis Alberto Moreno of the IDB and his colleagues uh, that made his participation possible. Um, we will be posting the audio of this teleconference on our website, all one word, org later this afternoon, together with a uh, summary of some of the key points, um, and uh, hope you will uh, stay tuned for future announcements from the Latin American program. We very much, along with All of our colleagues at the Wilson Center aim to stay active via uh, teleconference and video conference during this period when we're all taking care to um, stay out of uh, public spaces. Okay, thank you once again. Um, Thank you to our Verizon operator, to Maria Stella Gatsoulis of the Wilson Center. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Take care, bye.
0: This concludes today's conference. Thank you for your attendance. You may disconnect your line.